0: Well please have your Bible open at Ezra 7 and for those of you for whom perhaps this is not a familiar portion of God's Word and for the rest of us for whom a reminder won't go amiss. We're right at the end of Old Testament history in these books even though they're not actually technically at the end of the Old Testament as they appear on the page in your Bible. But this is the end, towards the end of recorded history in terms of the nation of Israel in Old Testament days. And Israel as a nation came under God's judgment because of its continued sin and its continued lack of repentance. One portion of the country was destroyed by an enemy from the north, the Assyrians, and they were wiped out. In the south of the country, the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar came against Israel and over a number of years eventually conquered them. And a number of exiles were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now in a straight line, Jerusalem to Babylon is about 500 miles, but the roads you'd have to go on to avoid mountains and deserts, it would be nearly twice that distance, several months journey. And these Jewish men and women and young people found themselves in exile in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. But the Babylonians were then conquered themselves by the Medes and the Persians. And 70 years after the exiles went to Babylon, the new king of the new empire, Cyrus, issued a decree permitting the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. The city had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And just to give you a bit of a timeline on how the story unfolded, The first of the exiles returned to Jerusalem, led by Zerubbabel in the year 538 BC. Their goal was to rebuild the temple. The work began, but they experienced all kinds of opposition. There was a period of over 10 years when no work took place at all. And then they were re-encouraged and reinvigorated to complete the building work of the temple And the temple was finally completed in the year 515 BC. Now, in Ezra chapters 1 to 6, Ezra records for us the story of that return under Zerubbabel, the building work on the temple, and the completion of the temple in Ezra chapter 6. And there the story pauses Now when we pick up Ezra chapter 7 we're into the reign of Artaxerxes and actually from the end of chapter 6 to the opening of chapter 7 almost 70 years sorry almost 60 years have passed. So there's a gap of nearly 60 years that Ezra doesn't account for. Now during that time That's when the story of Esther takes place, although it's recorded separately in a book. So in your Bibles, you have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. But the actual timeline, if you did it chronologically, is Ezra chapters 1 to 6, Esther, Ezra chapters 7 to 10, Nehemiah in chronology. And then another king is on the throne, Artaxerxes. And it's during the reign of Artaxerxes that Ezra himself returns. So at Ezra chapter 7, it's nearly 60 years since the temple was finished. And it's actually 80 years since those first exiles went to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel. Was Ezra even born when those first exiles went under Zerubbabel? Probably not. Ezra has been acting as a, a chronicler and a historian in chapters 1 to 6 he himself had no part in those events that he's recorded for us. And right at the beginning, he probably wasn't even yet born. Many of the people who went in that first exile probably died. And many of the people who went with Ezra when he went back to Jerusalem, many of them possibly had never been born when those first exiles returned. And the information that we have in in uh, the book here provides us with very accurate dating of all of these events and it accords with information that we get from other historical sources outside of the Bible. It's the seventh year, we're told, of King Artaxerxes I. And we know that he came to the throne in 465 BC. And so the year is 458 BC. The first day of the first month, well that's equivalent to the 8th of April. And the first day of the fifth month is equivalent to the 4th of August in our calendar. So we can be really precise about when these things took place. But there's been this gap since we broke off the story at Ezra chapter 6. 80 years since those first exiles. 57 years since the temple was completed. And now God is going to use Ezra in this next important phase in establishing his people in Jerusalem once again. And so let's look at Ezra as he now starts to play a personal and pivotal role in the story. Up to now he's simply been a historian for us but now this involves him. And I want you to notice first of all three things that were told about him in verses 1 to 7. And then we'll consider for a number of different ways why these things are so significant for us today and how relevant they are for us today. So first of all with your Bible open we see Ezra the priest and we have there Recorded for us this very detailed, it's probably not every single generation, but it's a detailed list of all the key people in Ezra's family tree. You couldn't find a better pedigree for a priest as he traces his roots back through Zadok, through Phinehas and Eleazar, all the way back to Moses' brother Aaron from whom all priests were descended. Now, who are some of these men? Well, towards the end of that list, uh, Phinehas and Eleazar, they feature quite prominently in the book of Numbers, you'll find them mentioned there. And Zadok, well, he was the priest who was involved in the coronation of no less than King Solomon. And it was Zadok the priest and the occasion of Solomon's coronation that of course inspired George Frederick Handel to write his famous anthem for the coronation of King George II in 1727, which has been sung at every coronation of a British monarch since. So in due course, as either Charlie or William become king, you will hear it sung in Westminster Abbey. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king and all the people rejoiced and so on. That was the Zadok who was the great several times grandfather of Ezra. The finest pedigree in terms of his family line. Absolutely no doubt whatsoever of the priestly line from which Ezra came. That might not seem quite so important to us today, but it was crucial in Old Testament days to establish his identity and his credentials as a priest. But you also see that in verse seven, there's a, a group of people mentioned and they have all kinds of different roles and functions. And for those of you who've been with us through these, uh, these messages, you'll recall that these are all the same kinds of people who were mentioned 80 years previously when those first exiles returned because they are all the kinds of people who are necessary for the proper worship of God to be established and take place again. And exactly the same kinds of people that went with Zerubbabel are now accompanying Ezra the priest. Because far more important than re-establishing a city called Jerusalem is re-establishing the Lord's people as his worshipping people. That's what lies at the heart of all of this. And we'll see it in Ezra. So Ezra is a priest. I'll say more about that shortly. But also, and secondly, we see that Ezra is a scribe. Here is a man who is described as being a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. As much of the Bible as Ezra had in 450 BC, Ezra was an expert. Now, you're not born skilled in the Bible. You become skilled in the Bible by reading it, by studying it long and hard here is a man who has spent hour after hour day after day reading and studying the word of God here's a man who understands that in the past God has spoken and what God has said is important to know here's a man who understands that God has moved in generations past Here's a man who understands that commandments have been given and promises have been made. Here's a man who understands that God has established a covenant between himself and Israel. Here's a man who understands that in this book God has revealed and made known both himself and his will and his purposes. How else could Ezra know any of these things? This is how God has spoken to us and revealed these things through us. And Ezra is an expert in it all. Here's a man who understands that he needs this word to be his instruction manual, his guide, to be the lamp for his feet and the light for his path. That's quite a significant thing, isn't it? He's a priest, but he's also skilled in the word of God. And thirdly, we see about Ezra, he's under the hand of God. The end of verse 6. It was mentioned again as well at the end of verse 9. He's under the hand of God. Here is a man who's been chosen and appointed by God. Ezra's life is under a special providence because of the role that God has for him amongst these returning exiles. Ezra's under a special enabling from God. God is leading him, directing him and working things in the world on Ezra's behalf. Yet another king Yet another pagan king is going to act in Ezra's good priest, scribe, under God's hand. Now Ezra has these things in a very specific way and within a very specific and unique context in this story. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you enjoy these same privileges. And for the rest of our time this morning, I want to consider these these three things that we see in Ezra and show you how these things are so relevant for you today. The role of the priest was to serve as a representative of the people in the temple. There were aspects of their worship in the temple which the people could not perform for themselves. Such is the holiness of God that these descendants of Aaron were set aside and consecrated to perform these necessary things. And they had to go through all kinds of washings and preparation as a sign of being cleansed from sin to make them acceptable before God in those acts of worship. And the priests would mediate between God and the people on behalf of the people. But as Christians, the reality is we all enjoy this priestly privilege. All may draw near through Christ we may all approach the throne of grace because in the Lord Jesus Christ there is forgiveness and there is pardon for sins and there is cleansing from sin through his blood for every single one of you. And there is redemption and there is reconciliation. You've been made right with God. At Christ's death, the curtain in that same temple was torn in two from top to bottom the way into the holy place was laid open the living way to heaven is seen through christ the middle wall is gone and all who will may enter in through christ have you have you entered into these glorious privileges which are those in christ jesus to be cleansed and forgiven and accepted by god because of all that Christ has done for you at Calvary. And on almost every lap this morning, there rests the Word of God. What a glorious privilege. And indwelling every believer is the helper who will lead you and guide you into that truth. That's his promise. You too, you too, like Ezra, may spend hour after hour, day by day, reading, studying God's word, if you choose to. You may understand how God has spoken. You may understand how God has moved in generations past. You can know You ought to know God's commandments that he's given. The promises that have been made. How God has established a covenant between himself and his church through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know these things. And you can know them far better than even Ezra did. In this book you have your instruction manual, your guide, your lamp for your feet and your light for your path just like Ezra had. Here you'll discover what God has made known of himself for you. Here you'll discover his will and his purposes. Are you skilled in the word of God? There's no excuse really, is there? And if you're a Christian, every single one of you in Christ are under God's hand, just like Ezra was. You're known. You're chosen. You're called. You're equipped. You're helped. You're guided. You're protected. You're provided for. Ever as much as Ezra was. All of this that we see in Ezra is true of you if you're a Christian. But how is it that these things can be true for you and me, just as they were for Ezra? The reason is because one has come into the world who we see foreshadowed in Ezra. There are are layers here as we dig into the word, as we consider this man. You see, Ezra was a priest. But the better priest has come. Every Old Testament priest foreshadowed our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Old Testament priest Served representing the people as their mediator, making themselves acceptable to God so that they could present offerings and sacrifices on behalf of the people. But the great high priest has come, our ultimate representative before God, whose offering and sacrifice would be Himself. Before God as your substitute. In his sinless life. He's the acceptable one before a holy God. Who is able to deal with all of your sins. Christ is the great mediator between God and sinful mankind. And the Bible insists. There is only one. Who may stand in the gap between sinful men and women and a holy God. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what he came to do. And it's because we have this great high priest that actually we no longer need priests like Ezra. But actually each of you now in a sense are a priest anyway. Because through your great high priest you are made right with God and you may approach him. And when it came to being skilled in the word of God, well, there's none like Christ, is there? Aged just 12, do you remember? He sat in the temple in Jerusalem and he astonished all the religious leaders with his knowledge and his wisdom. Again and again in his ministry, we find him relying upon the word of God guidance and for instruction. He relied upon the word of God to rebuke Satan in the wilderness and if Christ relied upon the word of God like that, then how much more do you and I need it? Moreover, he himself is the word of God and he's the fulfilment of it. And these little shadows that we see in Ezra, we find pointing to Christ. It was Jesus who took the disciples on the Emmaus road on a journey through those same Old Testament scriptures which Ezra knew so well. And Jesus was able to point himself out to them. Here I am, he said, and there, and there, and there, and there, and on he went far better than Ezra could ever have done it. And when it comes to being under the hand of God, this spoke the Father, is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus repeatedly and particularly in John's Gospel speaks of himself as having come into the world to do his father's will. The Old Testament is full of these little glimpses of Christ. Now in 458 BC, they needed a man like Ezra, a representative, a mediator before God A man of the word, a man under God's hand. They needed someone like that. But actually, the whole world stands in need of what Ezra represents. And the whole world may find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is have you? And to close, We have this outstanding example that every Christian here should ponder long and hard in verse 10. Ezra prepared his heart. His fine priestly pedigree was all very good, but there needed to be more to Ezra than that. His heart was right before God. That's what counted. Ezra prepared his heart. Here's a question Did you take time to do that before you came to church this morning? I know for certain some of you will have. I also know for certain they're probably the ones who will take the most away from it. Did you prepare your heart before you came? Do you ever, do you spend time quietening your heart before God? Do you prayerfully open his word during the week and ask God by his spirit to teach you, to instruct you, to rebuke you, to change you, to correct you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to guide you will you spend time this week doing more than just reading god's word as good a discipline as that is and you'll get benefit even from reading god's word and that in itself will bring its own rewards but will you not take it a step further will you Prepare your heart to seek the law of God. Lord, speak to me through your word. Grant me understanding. Change me. Let me lay hold of this word. Let me, give me things I can grip onto that will see me through the day, through the week, through the months, through the year, through this word you've spoken. Make it real to me. Make it a heart issue. Help me to hide it in my heart. And you do it because that's your heart's desire to do it to do the word, because you want this word to change you, to move you, to direct you, to make you different, to cause you to grow. You want this word to renew your mind and transform your life. That's what it's for. With God's Spirit, that's what it does. You want to heed all the commands and warnings that God gives you. You want it to be your delight. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God and that's in accordance to his will. And so, how do you do that? Well, you prepare your heart and you seek his word. It's there. And that's how you'll live. And when you get to that stage, you'll find that just like Ezra, actually your great burden is that others might know it too. And you want them to know what you know. You want them to experience what you've experienced of God and his word. Now, you can't all be teachers in a formal sense. But you can all be teachers of one another. You can teach by example. You can teach in your home. You can teach your children. You can teach by living as a faithful witness. And for these things, you look away from yourself and you look to Christ. There's been no man before or since who prepared their heart like Christ did in order that he might live and die for you? There's no one prepared his heart like Christ did. He prepared his heart and steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Oh, he knew what was coming. But he had prepared his heart. He prepared his heart in Gethsemane as he yielded his own will to that of his father. What preparation of heart took place in Gethsemane. There's no one who ever lived out the word of God like Christ lived it. There's no one who's ever been more obedient to it than he was. Indeed, had he failed at even one point, he could never have been your saviour. But he is. And in him you have no, pet, no better teacher or instructor or guide. In Ezra, we see what God needs in every generation and we see it all fulfilled in Christ. Christ. In Ezra we see a believer prepared. A believer who's ready to be a willing and useful and faithful servant under the hand of God. The God who loved him and called him. What does God need today from you and me? He needs believers with prepared hearts ready to be willing and useful And faithful servants under his hand, under the hand of the God who loved you and called you because he gave himself for you. Well, the Lord bless us and grant his mercy and help to each one of us.